0: Greetings and welcome back to The Kogo Pod. I am Daniel Lazar and I am here with four distinguished AP comparative government and politics teachers. How distinguished? Well, they've been invited to the AP reading in Salt Lake City, which is where we are now, in a nondescript kind of vague, generic hotel room uh, together after a long week of reading student exams. And I thought it'd be nice to come together to debrief on that practice. Of course, bearing in mind the commitments that we have to the confidentiality of the college board, I still think that it's important for us to reflect on that experience. It is a pretty intense experience. And to give students and teachers who haven't been to the reading just some insight into what the reading is like. And in particular, I hope this conversation adds value to teachers of this course. Now, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you four extraordinary AP Comparative Government and Politics teachers, four people who I must confess I quite like. First, welcome to the podcast, Anthony Peake. Hello, um, I'm Anthony Peake. Uh,
1: I'm a teacher uh, at Baton Rouge High. Uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Uh, and I've been a
0: reader for six years now. Six long years. Jane Hiley, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm Jane Hiley. I teach at Devon Preparatory School in Devon, which is a suburb west of Philadelphia. This is my first year. I'm a newbie. And a
0: fantastic newbie. Jane's an amazing teacher. I can't wait to hear what you have to say at the end of your first year doing this. I'm really curious how you reflect on it not your first year. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa Dudgeon.
3: Hi, I'm Lisa Dudgeon. I teach at Bedford High School in Bedford, New Hampshire. I have read two prior years, uh, both online, however, during COVID and then and the post-COVID year, the year after. Um, so this is my first in-person AP reading.
4: And last but not least, Ryan DeMarco. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm Ryan DeMarco, I teach at North Cross School in Roanoke, Virginia, and this is my second year in Salt Lake City.
0: So like I said, we are all in Salt Lake City, we just finished a week of reading, and I thought maybe just to get us started, one of you could maybe describe the reading. Like, We go there every day, we start at 8 o'clock sharp. What's the space like? How is the whole situation organized? Can you paint like a word picture of what's happening over there? Who's willing to take this on? Ryan, will you really? Yeah. sure. Sweet. Thank you so much.
4: All right. So the AP Comparative Reading takes place in a building called the Salt Palace, and it is probably the largest convention center I've ever been in, in my whole life. You walk in, you're a little bit intimidated as you go up the stairs, you have the very lively security staff who greet you. It's <laughs> and bananas, it's it bananas. The like yes.
0: greetings like make Walmart greeters look like anyway, yep. carry on. I'm interrupting.
4: I wish every Walmart greeter greeted me like that. It'd be wonderful. I'd go back more often. Um <laughs> I uh so you go up the stairs and to the left is this giant room, which is the cafeteria area where they service breakfast and lunch and dinner every day, and you're in this room with probably a thousand other teachers or more, um, all teaching various subjects. And I really like that because every meal I sit with someone different. I get to talk to different people about AP research or AP chem or AP lit. And so, and these are people from all over the world. And for me, that's an invaluable like professional development networking opportunity, if you will. Um, and then once we get breakfast at bright and early, for me, it's like seven in the morning. Uh, we then trek the quite literally 10 to 15 minutes across the building. Cause this is how big the building is to, uh, what we call the ivory tower of AP comparative. So and why we say that it's in the back of the salt Lake palace on the third floor. So we are the highest point in the building. Um, you walk into our, the ballroom and it is a ballroom and it has these, uh, dividers. Essentially they've created these artificial rooms within the ballroom. And, um, in each room are collections of tables, and each table holds about 8 to 10 people, and they are the ones who are going to be grading individual questions. So the way it's structured is uh, you have your what's called your table leaders um, who oversee the tables and oversee the just regular readers for AP Comparative, um, so people like me. And you are assigned a question, and they guide you through the training, the calibration, and make sure that you are scoring properly on that question. And about how many readers are at a table? That's a great question. So it's about eight to ten readers uh, at a table, and then with your table leader at the head, and then your table is overseen by what's called a question leader, and your question leader is overseeing basically everything to make sure that you are grading properly, and they're also providing feedback to you as well to make sure that you know if you mess up here and there, it's okay. We just correct the score, and then we tell you how to better evaluate the next test?
0: So there's this whole system in place to make sure that we can offer the most valid, reliable, consistent scores for students. I will tell you that I, for one, despite being exhausted by the process, am rather heartened by the process. I'm heartened by the degree to which the people who sit at those tables are committed to making sure that every student has a fair chance to get an honest score. And so maybe it seems like I've drank a little bit too much of the AP College Board Kool-Aid, but I really do believe in the process, and I really am grateful, honored, really, to work with people like you in this sort of Herculean, sometimes monotonous, often exhausting task. You know what I hope I can get one of you to talk about is just like what we do on the first day I find day one, for various reasons, to be the most interesting day. Could I get one of you to talk us through the challenges and the opportunities of day one? Lisa, you're willing. Thank you so much.
3: So day one is really kind of unique because you can almost feel the excitement in the air. People who have been here before and see each other again for the first time in a year, you know, they're, it's like... For Union City. And it's it's you know, as a first timer in person that was really nice to see. For comparative government, we started out our first day in a meeting room. With our chief reader, who went over some basic information about what the week was going to entail, some basic information from human resources, um, you know, talking about when the the trivia nights were and who was the, the social director, informally or otherwise, um, all that important information came out in that first meeting. And and then when that was over, we all went to our respective reading rooms. So um, we trekked over to the ivory tower and we found which room we were in there were lists on the doors of these these artificial rooms sat down at our table our our seats were pre-assigned and got to know the people at our table we may have known them before we may not have but it was a chance to get to know each other because when you sit down at a table you're working closely with those people um, for a while so, you have your table leader, you have a rubric, you get that rubric, it's at your, at your little spot at the table, and you spend some time really diving in deep to that rubric. You look at what the prompt is, you talk about what the essential components are to get a point, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, that's come from the pre reading. Um, You know, maybe some of us would offer up hypotheticals just to kind of see where that line is. Um, And then after that's over, you go through the benchmarks and you look at ones that have been scored and you try to make a guess of what those are going to come out as. And then you look at why they were scored as they were. Then you go on to the official training. So there's a training set with feedback. You individually, silently will go through that training set. And after that's done, you get a little screen that pops up and tells you how you did. Were you at exact hit on each of the points? Were you what's called adjacent, which is right next to the exact hit or are you what's called discrepant, which is more than one away from what it should have been scored? So that gives you some feedback. Then there's a training set without feedback. And then once you're done with that, you go through what's called calibration. So you, on your computer, you will go through a set of, I think it's usually six responses on your particular question. And when you get your six response and you put your score in and you hit that button, hopefully you're going to see a message that says you now proceed to scoring or something like that. That's the message you want. (laughs) Um, There are for each subject, there are times when you have breaks and times when you have lunch. And and those are all very scheduled. Um, but you do have time during those periods to, you know, get up and stretch and walk around and talk with people. And that's really nice. After five o'clock, five o'clock comes, everyone is out of the reading rooms, probably as fast as they can. Um, and then you have a chance to go down to the the dining hall area, get some dinner, um, and then the evening's yours. So that first day, five o'clock comes, everyone's still pretty excited by then. You know, you're trying to wrap your head around your question. Um, You may have been, you know, had some conversations throughout the day with your table leader about, oh, this is different. How do we feel about this? To, you know, narrow down that that sweet spot that you're going for. Um, You know, there are different activities each night. First night is kind of laid back. Um, Second night, things start
4: happening. Lisa, that was... Awesome. You made me relive my first day, <laughs> which is pretty I – mean, I love my first day. I love getting to see old faces, meet new people, getting to meet my uh, table leader. The first day really sets the precedent for the rest of the week in many ways. Um, now, one thing that I was really nervous about in my first year was – Uh, You know, oh my, what if I don't pass calibration, they're going to fire me and I'm stuck in Salt Lake. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So, but I will say that to anyone who wants to do the AP reading, calibration is nothing to fear it's okay if you do not pass your first calibration. To be honest, I did not pass my first calibration my first year, but my table leader sat with me, walked me through what I did wrong, they gave me more training sets, and then eventually I was able to pass on the second go around and all's well that ends well.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important we just hit on there. This is really a collaborative experience. Like it really is a team coming together to give students the best possible chance to get the most accurate score. And day one's a trip. It's kind of emotionally exhausting in a way. You're meeting a lot of new people. There's kind of, for me at least, and this is maybe TMI, but it's a little bit of sensory overload. It's just kind of hard to navigate this space and meet all these new people and catch up with all these old people. Um, it's hard for me, you know, but I really enjoy it. It's, it's exciting for me. And that's just day one. But the, the week goes on. <laughs> Jane, I see you sh- sh- shaking your head. I feel like you want to say something about this.
2: Yeah, so uh, newbie observation. I've noticed that there's a, a pattern of energy. It's super high at the beginning. Uh, so the first full day is Saturday. You know, So it rides over into the next day. Third day is when the energy starts to wane. And it really goes down, at least in my experience, from what I've observed in myself and in my table, toward the end of Wednesday. But that's great because then that was dine out night. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was that that's something you can look forward to. And how I have found a way to manage my energy is to always have something to look forward to. Oh, there's break. Oh, there's lunch. What am I going to do after lunch? I'm going to go take a walk. What can I do after five o'clock? And today I was moved to a different question. And that really leveled our energy our entire table was alive again i mean we were working we were really working we finished our question and so that's why we moved to a different question and so it's almost like day one all over again so the energy is really high and it's exciting it's novel
0: no one said it am i the only one here who has self-discipline issues vis-a-vis the buffet even though it's not that good oh i am everyone's just looking at me with dead eyes (laughs) oh it's so shameful it's dreadful because you were talking about the highs and lows of the week and I was thinking in my mind about the highs and lows of the day which have everything to do with just like how my gut is processing the damage that I do to it day after day I get up at 530 and I'm in the gym but that's merely to mitigate the damage that I do at a buffet which is nothing to write home about no not at all So we've all just spent a whole week of our precious lives grading exams. We've flown away from family and friends. We're here in the desert with the air conditioning blasting. And I'm wondering if I could get you to talk a little bit about what it's like for you to spend a week of your life grading student responses to comparative government and politics prompts. Who wants to start? Back to Anthony.
1: i actually been here for, for two weeks. Um, I was an early reader. It, it's kind of weird. In a way, it's like torture um, grading, but it's also fun at the same time. That's probably a word for that. I don't know if you say it the podcast or not, but uh, uh, it, it's, um, you know, you're in there, and you're like, why am I doing this? Like, this is, you know, you're reading... Essay after essay, and you're like, "Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this?" Um, but learning with other teachers and, and hearing, talking to professors and teachers about comparative government, um, and also, I mean, in some ways, seeing students' responses, you're like, "Oh, I need to work on this." When I'm in the classroom, I need to teach my students this. Uh, so by seeing thousands of essays and, and, and things like that, it helps you become better uh, attuned to what the students are writing and seeing. Okay, well, here they're answering the your answer to prompt this way. I'm teaching it something differently and maybe I should change it wherever else it might be. Um, so I think that's helpful. And of course the collaboration with teachers and, and colleagues and things like that is also extremely helpful. Um, yeah, but the, 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 the sheer week of grading, my eyes hurt now. You just try to, you, you, you time yourself through the breaks, uh, and you know, after lunch, I'm going to slow down a little bit, but that's okay. I worked hard at the beginning of the day. And I'm going to slow down after lunch, I guess that's, ends up happening to me a lot of times. So you
0: find a way to be gracious with yourself. I think that's really important.
2: I'm very motivated by results. I'm very motivated by numbers that show results. And so when there's a counter that says performance, 40 responses an hour. Oh, can I get that up to 41, 42 and still be accurate and not have any negative feedback from my table leader? That helps the mind game that I play, especially when it's 3.45 3.45 p.m. On a, on a Thursday afternoon. I find it super rewarding knowing minutiae that I may not even get to teach my students, but it's good to know as a teacher. Yeah. And just, I mean, I, I got a great idea from another teacher who shows Mean Girls and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can you show Mean Girls and talk about Unit 3 and all the isms. And I'm like, that's a great idea. I mean, those are little nuggets and I got that at lunchtime. So, I mean, Knowing that there are so many people here who have ideas, who want to share, just like you, Daniel, um, and everybody else here, I think it's a great opportunity. I'm really glad I did this.
0: I'm glad that you're living with no regrets and that you had these opportunities to connect with colleagues and to learn about what they do in the classroom. Sounds like you had a pretty good first experience, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing that I'm really interested in, maybe because I genuinely seek advice on this matter, is what y'all do to stay focused so that you can ensure consistent and accurate scoring. Do any of you have any advice, tips, or tricks you might be able to offer? This guy who, despite doing this for nine years, struggles a bit sometimes with focus, particularly on day five or day six. Help! Anyone? Lisa, thank you.
3: Daniel was kind of looking at me the whole time he was speaking. We started out day one on the same table together. We were on the same table for a couple days. I would say, and, and he's going to laugh at this, um, make yourself at home. I have far too much luggage with me because I brought a a step stool to put my feet on because I happen to be vertically challenged. Um, I have um, fans, um, USB power operated rechargeable fans. Um, Today, I brought my heating pad over for my neck. After a while... (laughs) You've reached a certain age, you need that. Um, you know, and I, I, uh, I have a little bag that I've just been leaving at my table that has all the things that I think I might need. It's almost like a comfort bag. You know, it just kind of helps me remember that, hey, this is a long day, but you know what? You can get
2: through it. I like Lifesaver Peppermints, and I brought a bag of those because um, I know, uh, and I actually have to go buy more because I ran out. And I was sharing with my fellow readers at my table. Um, it helped me think if I'm like sucking a piece of candy or taffy or just any hard candy, I call it thinking candy. It really gets me going. I really, I find that if I don't have something in my mouth working through as I'm working through a question, then I lose focus. So that's, that's my trick.
0: Anthony, Ryan, what are your thinking candies?
1: Uh, mine's cough drops. I'm not coughing, but it numbs me a little bit and it helps me uh, kind of move on a little better. I, I don't, I'm not coughing, but I'm, I do like four or five cough drops a day. <laughs> um
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, you don't need cough drops, do you? No. I do you have think a thinking candy though?
4: I, I chew a lot of gum, actually, at the table. So I'm running out of my extra. And you know, I need to go back and get some blow bubbles? No, I'm not a bubble blower. I don't I actually kinda think that's kinda rude. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but um no, but gum is my go to.
0: Our listeners need to know spearmint, peppermint, bubble gum. Extra what flavor?
4: So definitely spearmint. Uh, I'm not an original bubblegum kind of guy. I don't like it.
0: My image of you is totally blown, (laughs) moving on. Sorry. So I have never graded the argument essay. I will confess to you and apparently whoever's listening to this that I'm not sure that I taught the argument essay well for the first two years. They were COVID years. I will try to grant myself some grace. But I feel like the argument essay deserves its own conversation. And it so happens that there are three AP readers here who have been grading the argument essay. And I wonder what you can tell students about what it takes to write a good argument essay for comparative government and politics. Lisa?
3: So I also teach AP psychology and kind of the mindset in AP psychology is when you're answering a, a free response question, um, you throw in a little truncated definition of the term or the concept. And I've seen a lot of essays this week that would have benefited from something like that, because although that won't earn a point on the argument essay, it can definitely tell your reader that, hey, I know what this concept is and I can talk about it. Because, you know, if you are responding to a prompt that includes a a concept and you use that concept in the kind of a vague way, your reader's not going to know if you know what you're talking about and you're not going to get the point.
1: So, you know, you have 40 minutes technically to write the argument of essay and they're not looking for anything groundbreaking when we're grading it. We're not looking for, you know, mind blowing political journal kind of stuff. Uh, you know, someone kind of described it as a rough, a rough draft. Uh, but let's say you get to the test and you're, you're, you're answering questions, you see the prompt, you're like, I don't want to answer this. I'm, I don't know anything about this. I'm tired. The thesis is right there for you. And, and we are from grading hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, there's no theses. thesis thesis, thesis, uh, uh, there, and it's um, really frustrating because that's an easy point that students should get, especially in comparative. Uh, they basically ask you, choose a side, and they give you a roadmap. They give you concepts to choose. Uh, so when you're teaching the students about writing an argument of essay, the, the thesis is, is there for the taking, uh, and the students should be getting at least one point. On there, uh, tell them to choose a side. Uh, don't waffle. Uh, they're not trying to trick you uh, with with the with the question. There's no neither or nor kind of thing. Uh, so let be aware of that. Um, and I think we are always say be concise as well as much as possible.
4: Right. So for the argumentative essay, my biggest advice I could give to students to teachers who are teaching these <laughs> students how to write these essays is um you do not need a lengthy introduction introduction just start with the thesis just write the thesis and go i know that with like ap lit ap lang oftentimes with like ap us because i teach that as well you have to have context before you can get to your thesis we don't want that we just want brevity get to your thesis get into your argument um be brief be concise um but also make sure that you're using the concepts because as anthony was saying we get so many wonderful beautiful theses but if you don't use the concept in the thesis then we can't give you a point the other thing i would argue as well is put your thesis at the beginning a lot of students uh will write these beautiful essays but not have a thesis and all of a sudden they throw their thesis right at the end and it makes it very hard on the reader to then have to go back and essentially rescore the essay because they have added in the thesis at the end. So try and help your students cultivate the thesis at the beginning, especially again using the concepts that we provide and as Lisa said, throw in the truncated definition of the concept because a lot of times I'm reading the essays myself and they're talking about X concept and it's, it's very vague and unclear how they're applying it. So make sure that they know their definitions.
3: So I would just wanted to add something else. One thing I've noticed, well, for the argument of essay, you need two pieces of relevant specific evidence. Um, and one piece of reasoning that explains how that evidence connects back to the side you've chosen. If you're giving two pieces of evidence, I highly recommend that you'd give two reasonings. That way, if one of your reasonings is incorrect, you can still earn that point. So don't shortchange yourself. Okay,
4: go ahead. Right. If, I, if I could add to that as well, um, I would highly encourage your two pieces of evidence to come from two different countries um, that really shows that you know what you're talking about in terms of bringing in the different course countries. And the key word, too, is specific and relevant. Um, so it's, it's good when students reference historical events. But if you're referencing historical events that happened 100 years ago or more or even 50 years ago or more, then that's not exactly fitting within the, the idea of relevant. So I would encourage your students to try and find deliberate modern examples um, for different countries.
3: And choose your countries well. There are some countries that work for certain questions and will not work for others.
1: One last thing: the the hard well, I don't know if it's the hardest point. The counter argument, the fifth point. Have your students or when you're teaching it. This make sure they are choosing the opposite of their original thesis statement, and then refute it in some sort of way. And I think that's hard for the students, and I think that's one of the hardest ones is a grader to kind of see because sometimes the students are just repeating what their thesis said. Um, they need to say you know. Here is the other side, uh, and here is why it's incorrect. Uh, and so the counterargument, um, it can be tricky, but, you know, it's basically a second thesis statement the students are writing uh, that is the opposite of what they said originally.
4: To add to that as well, the counterargument, you can't just state the thesis as the opposite Um, you have to actually elaborate on a counterargument and develop one and then refute it or rebut it or concede it. So um, the students just can't simply restate the opposite and go. They need to actually develop a counterargument because if they just restate the opposite without development, then there's no point that's awarded.
0: Listen, thank you all so much for that advice on question four. I I devote a, a lot of time, a lot of passion, a lot of energy to this class I think about this class a lot and despite that, I don't know that I really teach the argument essay as well as I'd like to. And so I'm gonna listen and listen again to to your advice. It was really helpful and I hope my students listen to it also. Thank you so much. And that should be enough, but I have one maybe left field question for you just to drive this train into the station. I want to give you a chance to recommend something, anything, to our listening audience who's interested in comparative government and politics. It could be a book, a movie, a TV show, a place in the world they should visit. Something you might endorse for our listening audience. Just to wrap this episode up, who wants to go first? Jane.
2: Um. I have a book called The Shanghai Free Taxi by Frank Lingfit. Frank Lingfit is currently the London correspondent for NPR, but he used to be based in Beijing. And I've met him not in person, but on Zoom. And he actually, I read the book, loved it, reached out to him, got in touch with him. And he Zoomed with my class two years in a row to talk about his experience both in Beijing and in Shanghai. And he literally drove a taxi around for free in exchange for just stories about people who are living in Shanghai. Fascinating stories, very, very um, interesting person, reporter, writer. So I definitely recommend this book. It's very readable. You don't have to be a poli-sci nerd. Um, or a teacher, um, I would recommend it to all of my students. Um, number two, travel. Get your passport stamped. Get as many stamps as you as you can, as you can afford. You know, the world is bigger than you think, even though it feels like it's getting smaller. But go see the world because it's out there. So I
3: actually have two as well, but they're very brief. First, um, and this is for anyone, I recommend it to my students all the time. If you haven't signed up For um, the week magazine sends out a daily email uh, 10 things you need to know today. And it's a really quick, it comes in about seven in the morning Eastern time. And it just really goes over what were the top 10 stories of the previous 24 hours. And it, it really short paragraph length summaries. Obviously, you can find out more, but it's a good overview just to say, hey, what's going on in the world? Here's what it is. Second, recommendation I have, if you can get access to it, Current History Magazine. Excellent. Um, they, their issues typically will focus on an area of the world. So for, I believe it comes out quarterly. Um, one quarter, it might be focused on Africa, and it will have a number of stories about issues in Africa. You know, the next, next issue might have the Americas, articles about that, but it's just, it's really good what's going on in the world, but there, there are more in depth, longer, well-researched
4: articles. All right. So I would definitely, uh, second Jane's suggestion to travel if possible. I know that's not possible for everyone, but one thing that I would recommend just along the travel lines is, um, I know on, I believe it's Amazon actually kind of an interesting thing they have these uh virtual field trips where you can if you're a teacher or you're a student you can pay um essentially through amazon and people will like live stream and basically take you on virtual tours in different areas of the world and so i've done it before where we linked up with like a tour guide at nine in the morning Eastern Time, and I think it was like three in the afternoon in Israel. They basically walked us around um, some key sites in Israel. So, like that's something that if you are financially constrained, which a lot of people are, um, and are not able to travel, that's an alternative opportunity where you can still see the world and talk to someone in another country without having to necessarily pay that full, you know, airline ticket. Um, now, secondly, I guess my favorite thing to recommend, uh, my favorite show. Uh, which is a, a show called Madam Secretary, which was on for seven seasons, and it's on Netflix. You can find it, but I find that a lot of comparative information fits into that show really nicely. And yes, I know it's a fictional show about a you know a fictional uh, secretary of state, but a lot of the issues that. It, she handles in that show directly relate to our course, like things about legitimacy, things about environmental degradation. How does the United States respond? How do we interact with the world? How do we have to take in uh, the internal dynamics of different countries? And so, for me, I find that show um, sort of a, a applicable, I guess, in, in many ways to this course and sort of reinforcing a lot of those course concepts. So, if you want a fun show that's fictional but yet uh, still applies to many real world situations um, Madam Secretary is the way to go.
0: So you ask a couple high school teachers for a recommendation every one of them gives two Anthony you want to give <laughs> seven? Yeah. yeah. So we will wrap it with Anthony's single recommendation and- following instructions reading the <laughs> prompt <laughs>
1: Well, I was going to say, I didn't really follow instructions because this is not going to be helpful for comparative. This isn't a a book about U.S. politics, Um, but I just read a book recently. It's called The The Undertow, Scenes from a a Slow Civil War, where he kind of travels the country after January 6th and kind of talks to people and and things like that and kind of, you know, takes a thermometer, I guess, or barometer uh, of of our country and, and what people think in between New York and L.A., and it's an interesting read uh in lots of ways kind of eye-opening um so that is not a comparative book but it, it is politics and it's really interesting
0: it sounds like confederates in the attic yes. meets yes. the soft white underbelly great recommendations one and all and thank you one and all for joining me in conversation congratulations on wrapping up this ap reading we did it we've done it and i think we did a great job I'm really proud of our team. And we did a great job at this table. This was a fun reflection. So thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners. If this podcast is valuable, please head over to buymeacoffee.com slash cogopod. That's buymeacoffee.com slash cogopod. The link is in the show notes. And with that in mind, a special shout out to Drew Anderson, who made a generous contribution to this podcast. Drew, I learned, is soon to teach this course for the first time. In the fall of 2023, he'll be teaching this class. And so he's been listening to this podcast, which I'm grateful for. Drew, I should tell you in full disclosure, I'm a bumbling idiot. Please cross-reference everything I say on this podcast, but I'm grateful for your contribution. I'm glad that you're listening. I wish you the best of luck in your first foray into teaching this class I think everyone at this table knows it can be a little bit overwhelming but we also know it's a real labor of love and you and your students are going to get so much out of it so we here in Salt Lake City are super excited for you and I for one am really grateful for your contribution and to our listeners we wish you health and wellness hope you enjoyed this conversation and we'll catch you next time say bye bye bye
2: Bye
0: -bye. all right we did it